Sometimes we lose sight of the forest for the trees. Sometimes we get a little caught up in our knowing to wonder. Other times we find the freedom to experiment in order to explore the various ways of being human. This is Logosish. Today we talk to Maruti Schmitz about practicing his spirituality in the Kashi Interfaith Ashram. And we pick his brain about permaculture, plants, acorn flower, and living like a Whole Foods Willy Wonka. Hey guys, welcome back to Logos-ish. This is John. We are here for another really fun and fantastic episode. Today, I am joined by co-hosts Brian Betcher, Garrett Roca, and Sarah Relliford. We have the whole gang here today. It's going to be a really exciting episode. How is everybody doing this morning? We're doing good. Florida is preparing for a hurricane. I looked at the spaghetti map this morning, and it seems like Peninsula is, you know, getting ready for some wind and some rain. Hang on. The spaghetti map? Like, are you doing divination using spaghetti? Yeah, so um, one thing is that you, you get the weather, uh, you take a screenshot of uh, the weather, and you just throw handfuls of spaghetti and figure out where the storm goes. No, the, uh, we call it uh, affectionately the spaghetti map. Uh, the spaghetti model for the meteorologist has all the potential tracks of where the storm would go. Um, and all of them are just going up the peninsula in some sort of way. Yeah, this is a, one of those fun hurricanes that might impact all of us. Like it's gonna cross Florida, graze us in South Carolina and then head up towards Virginia Beach. So we'll all get a little bit of Ada. And how nuts is it that there's a hurricane Ada? Like we went through all of the names of the year. Circling back around. Uh, <laughs> I'm so amused, Sarah, that your excitement here about the hurricane is that we're all going to be included in its torrential rain and possible wanton destruction. Well, you know, I like to bring people together. It's, I like to focus on what connects us. Usually it's a Florida thing, but, you know, I'm glad to have you guys in it as well. All right. So, Brian, how are you doing? You haven't talked too much yet. Well, I uh, well, one, I was looking at the spaghetti map by the National Hurricane Center to see how much plywood do I need to go buy. And fortunately, it doesn't look like I need to buy too much at all because, you know, barrier islands are wonderful. But, you know, it's been pretty awesome. I, I took most of the last week off just to get settled in my new house. And uh, yeah, I've been sleeping in. It's been great. Well, we're still very happy for you, Brian. I hope you're really just treasuring and enjoying having a a more permanent roof over your head than you have for the past couple of weeks. But let's go ahead and dive in today. Our guest is Maruti Schmitz. He is a longtime friend of mine, and we were able to recently reconnect and just have a really great conversation. And so now he's here on the podcast, and it's really wonderful. So Maruti, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, just kind of hanging out. Glad to be here. Hanging out is good, man. So, like, usually we start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. So, would you want to tell us a little bit about your journey up to this point? Like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> who are you? <laughs> um, wow, man. Yeah, so, basically, I grew up small town Georgia. Little Catholic parish in the middle of the cow field. Moved away, did music education for a while. Kind of pinballed around the world through some pretty fantastic circumstances, ended up finding my guru, studied through an ashram and an interfaith ashram and kind of 
got to learn from a whole lot of folks. Again, pinballed around again, started uh, working in EMS in the fire service, and am now living just north of Athens, uh, starting a small farm and just kind of doing my thing. Awesome. Very cool. Well, can we talk a little bit about your experience at the ashram? So the, the ashram in particular you're referring to is Kashi in Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's an interfaith ashram. Uh, it was started by my guru, Majaya Sati Bhagavati. They're in the 60s and the 70s. There are a few different ashrams around the, the states. Uh, there's one in New York that was the original. And the main ashrams down there actually in Florida, uh, just north of Vera Beach in Sebastian. Uh, there's another over there in uh, LA and uh, one in Atlanta. And that's the one that I'm most closely associated with. But yeah, like I said, it's an interfaith ashram. So kind of like uh, through the teaching of basically like, let's learn from everyone. Let's sit down, let's have a common space. Each, uh, each different ashram has its own kind of different personality. Uh, the one in Atlanta has a actual yoga studio. People like practice yoga, meditation. But uh, one common thread through all of the ashrams is what's called karma yoga, or like the yoga of action, right? Service. Um, so one of the biggest things about like our guru, like her biggest teaching was the fastest way to God is through service, right? Getting beyond yourself and being able to connect with other people, being able to lay down your own ego and actually move through the world. But yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Growing up in small yeah. town Georgia, were you, did you have spiritual thoughts from an, I'm using spiritual kind of generally, but like, did you have thoughts about, you know, yourself, your higher self, your uh, relationship to, you know what I'm saying? Like, were you a spiritual, yeah. I'm just using spiritual generally. And was that weird being in small town Georgia? Like, how did that fit in? Yeah, yeah. Growing up in small town Georgia, um, being a Catholic kid in small town Georgia, uh, was a little different. We we were a pretty small parish at the time. But yeah, I, I definitely felt like a draw, a calling, or a connection. I spent a, a good bit of my time in middle school and high school in a state of discernment. So working with the Archdiocese of Atlanta, but then also too, like looking at a different, a few different Franciscan orders and kind of like kind of putting the toes in there before my parents kind of shut that down and sent me off to college. But yeah, it was it was an interesting time, uh, especially like in the 90s in small town Georgia, it was different. But yeah, there's there's always kind of been that thread. I don't really know anyone that there isn't kind of that thread, you know, like we all kind of have that, that tug. So just to clarify that state of discernment you're talking about, what was the what would have been the end goal for that? Uh, the priesthood. I would have been a priest within the Archdiocese of Atlanta. So um, just to back it up a little bit, and I know we try and be accessible to everyone as, as possible, but you mind like explaining what an ashram is? I have a general sense, but uh, for folks that are not familiar. Yeah, so an ashram is just, basically it's a, it's a spiritual community. So kind of the lineage comes out of India, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, but basically it's just a spiritual community if you want to look at it like that. It's made up of uh, a satsang, which is basically your spiritual community, but satsang, literally the translation meaning in the company of truth, right? So you're living in the company of other truth seekers, right? Trying to find the, the truth. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the notion of, of an interfaith ashram. Can you give us some um, sort of concrete descriptions of how Kashi is 
interfaith in the sense of like how are they using different sort of faith traditions to explore you know that idea of of growing closer to god or to truth or something like that yeah so i think i think one of the ways especially when getting into this kind of teaching trying to to explain it to my family it was kind of interesting but like being from atlanta right you know uh, i kind of described it like like the interstates right like everybody's trying to get to atlanta but we're all just taking a different road but eventually like we all get there right um so one of my guru's teachings basically was like whenever you you meet someone you say teach me how you pray right teach me how you worship and then let's do that together let's access that together if you go to her ashram in Florida, there's a temple to every single world religion. Anyone that ever visited, it was like, okay, teach me your ways and let's celebrate that. Let's access God, goddess, the divine, the sacred together and let's celebrate that. And looking for that that common thread that really unites us and kind of helps us to transcend our own ego and our own bullshit, for lack of a better word, that keeps us away from that devotion, that open-heartedness, and that commitment to truth. So within the Atlanta ashram, you know, it can be all ways or no ways. You know, we have atheists that practice with us. We have agnostics, you know. We have Buddhist lamas, Lama Rod Owens, um, who's actually from Rome, Georgia, originally practices with us, uh, Swami Jaidevi Bhagavati. She's the, I guess if you want to look at it, like the matriarch of the Atlanta ashram, she's kind of in charge and kind of is the main teacher there. But everybody kind of brings their own path to the table and, and really recognizing that that makes our ability to access the divine that much richer and that much more available. Does, does that answer your question? Is it too much? Not enough. No, I think that's good. I I really love the the idea of just taking the time, both sort of an ecumenical and interfaith sense, to gather and to celebrate everyone's traditions together. You know, we living in small town South Carolina for a long time have sort of been doing this on on a much sort of more smaller intra-faith level, getting folks together for the first time, sometimes in generations, to uh, celebrate together in the community, different denominational groups and stuff like that. So it really is lovely to see that on a broader sort of scale. You know, we have a friend who we interviewed a couple of weeks ago who, you know, was talking about her experience coming out of uh, evangelical Christianity. And, you know, one of the things that sort of threw her for a loop was she went from being an evangelical Christian to a highly sort of mystical Christian. I don't know if she claims a tradition right now, other than, you know, just saying sort of nominally that she's in this sort of Christian stream. But, you know, one of the things that she talked about was leaving behind a quote-unquote like rule set, a kind of like more defining structure, and mm-hmm. entering into this phase where, uh, you know, she would read the mystics and folks like this and say, hear about connecting with God, but then responding by going, well, how? Give me give me some steps. Give me some structure. Give me a five-step plan. So I'm, I'm interested about your experience with that, especially coming out of Catholicism, which is fairly ritualized, right? It is. It is. But I think, I think a lot of times, and this, this is me talking from like my experience and not from like anything that's like concrete, 
Catholicism, but I feel like it's almost like there's this whole like pomp and circumstance, right? There's all these grandiose gestures and there is a very rigid structure and this very laid out plan. But then when you look at like the actual base of it, you know, when you actually look at the deeper threads of it, it is very much steeped in this very personal and, and mystic relationship with the divine. You know, I can, I can remember being, being in high school and being in adoration, you know, which is um, basically like, so within the Catholic church, right? So, you know, like the Eucharist, it, it, is, it is the body of Christ, right? And so having that out in, in the church and being able to, to worship in that way, like the, the physical um, embodiment of the body of Christ and being in the presence of that, and having being able to have this outpouring of love, you know, and and feeling that given back. Like I think I think there just kind of is this unfortunate glazed over autopilot within a lot of our own spiritual practices that we have these these moments for interacting and being in the presence of the divine. But we we rarely take that the time to to put our finger on the pulse and really recognize it and feel it and bow to that so so i don't know i think i think i'm getting a little bit off the question there yeah but i i do feel like the traditions are there you know like the actual rigid structure is there but it's not the structure itself but it's the the underlying resonance of it that that is really the thing it's kind of it's kind of like you know like that painting of the pipe right where it says this is not a pipe the painting itself isn't the pipe it's it's the actual thing. And so it's like, you can sit there your entire life and, and stare at this painting and be like, oh, this thing, like I'm, I'm doing this thing, I'm into this thing, but are we actually experiencing the actuality of it, the reality of it? Do we take the time to really, in a purely open-hearted and devoted way, experience that? Just to kind of respond to that, I think there's a lot within all forms of Christianity that kind of value structure and ritual to a certain extent, some more in, in some traditions more and some traditions less. But I can say for myself, like as a pastor, like I can see the difference when people are actually connecting through that ritual versus when people are just going through the motions. Uh, and to sure. see people actually changed and connecting is, you know, is why I got into this not just to run through the motions. So I think that's kind of something that you're speaking to uh, from a very different uh, tradition. So, yeah, I grew up Catholic as well. And being removed from the, the rigid structure a little bit, I've been left with a lot of the liturgies and the poetry and the stories and all of those resources are just so rich and sort of gets me excited about um, how you did described um, the ashram and people just coming and uh, with their paths. And so like when I read stories like the saints, depending on some of the ones from like Celtic uh, parts of the world or reading Buddhist poetry or, or some of those other spiritual texts, it's just an incredible outpouring of love and adoration to the divine. So it almost, if at least for me, focusing on that, putting in whatever structures or rigidness, um, that's sort of secondary because my my mind is then a little bit more free to connect with the divine. So I thought the way you described it was like beautiful in the in the same sense that 
I can I can definitely relate to just the diversity in people wanting to connect with something larger than themselves, um, and that thing and that larger thing responding in a way to make us more ourselves and to connect ourselves with others. So, yeah, no, I just I think I think it's very interesting because I think like what Brian was saying, you know, like how some it's a very real thing watching someone experience that, you know, and experiencing yourself, but then also recognizing that these things are just the tools. And I, th- I think it's so easy for us to mistake the tools for the thing and, and just getting lost in that and feeling obligated to that rather than just feeling obligated to this expression of the divine and, and really experiencing that and sharing in that. Yeah. I completely get the theme of being lost in the tools. And I think personally, my experience of doing this and also interacting with folks is I I feel like anytime we do get lost in the tools, anytime we do tend to idolize um, the ritual, it tends to be in part like out of a need of security, right? It's a a fear of diving into the ocean. Yeah, I I think it's that safety, right? And this is this is if anybody if anybody from the ashram hears this they're gonna like bust my chops because I mean like this has been so like my teaching for basically the past God like four or five years has been the space of I know and I wonder mm-hmm. and I think that's why I like speak so passionately about not not mistaking the tools for the thing because of what you're saying you know like the space of like I know like I know it's so solid you know at least it it feels very solid but there's no flexibility to it you know there's no give there's no you know like in 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 yoga right it's, it's this word called bhav right like the richness the juiciness like the joy of it right it's like you you're sucking the life out of it so it's like I know you know like you feel very sturdy and very very grounded but you know and then when you move into the space of like, I wonder, like even just saying that, I wonder, it's almost like you automatically start to to dissolve into that space. I don't know. I mean, and 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 I I think about that too. You know, like even even if you look at like mystics of like all all traditions, like even what like Abraham Heschel, right? You know, like one of his most influential books. You know, I ask for wonder, right? I mean, just that in itself. And he talks about sitting on the, you know, the shores of reason and the ineffable, you know, sitting between the space of the rigidity of, I know this is how it is, you know, it's like, it's, you're sitting here at the face of God and saying, you know, this is who you are, instead of being like, well, who are you? Who am I? And asking rather than demanding. I think that's really hard for like a lot of us who grew up in like Protestant traditions, uh, because there, there is kind of that focus on certainty and knowing and committing and things kind of like that. And as I've even grown in my own journey and I try and encourage others just to be like, man, it's okay if you don't have this all figured out. Like that's why we're on the journey together and being together is probably more important than trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean like what, like in in Buddhism, right? That's, that's the three jewels, right? The three things that, that lead you to your enlightenment, right? The, the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, right? So, and that they're all equally as important right? They're, they're bound together. They're never separate, right? So that the community is just as important as the teaching, just as important as, as the teacher, right? The Buddha, the Christ, the divine. We're laughing over here because I have sitting right in front of me, 
uh, your copy of Abraham Heschel's I Asked for Wonder <laughs> that you lent me, like, what, eight uh, years ago? <laughs> it yeah. has provided quite a bit of wisdom over the years. I'll occasionally pick it up and just flip through it. And, um, That's awesome. you know, just kind of encounter something. And a lot of times it provides a really nice ground to jump off of, especially since, you know, we have other Heschel on our bookshelves, but, you know, sometimes uh, some of his more philosophical texts can get kind of dense, whereas they've pulled out some really juicy nuggets that then, you know, we can go and reference in the original text and kind of springboard from there into more detail. At some point, I will return this book to you unless you've already bought another copy. <laughs> no, no, that's, I think, I think that's one of, one of, you know, you always have that one book, you know, or like those five books that you just constantly are buying because you're just like, oh yeah, I know, here, take it. Because it's mm -hmm. just like, it's so good. Like you can't keep it, you know, you're just like, please. Yeah, that's, that's I think I'm on probably like my eighth or ninth copy right now, so. Yeah. Nice. Well, then I'll be keeping this one, I think. Yeah, go for it. So can we dive, would it, would it be too personal to ask about your personal practice to dive into kind of what you're doing right now? What's, what's kind of bringing you into the ocean? Let's put it that way. So for a while, for a while, it was very much, um, so like my sadhana, right? My practice was very much, I wake up, I do this thing, I go, you know, I'm doing a specific meditation. I'm saying this specific mantra 108 times, and then I move through. And But now it's been almost like this permission for myself to kind of sit and and ask, you know, like, how, how can I be more open today? How can I be more receptive? How can I be touched you know, how can I touch today? But really just the practice of just sitting and checking in, feeling myself in the breath, feeling myself steady within my body, and then also feeling myself able to just kind of let go of my own barriers and my own ego. I guess my personal practice now has a lot more to do with um, finding the ease of it, you know, taking a walk, looking for the appreciation in the walk just uh i'm not i'm not trying to make it t sound too zen where it's like i'm washing this dish and i'm becoming enlightened through scrubbing the grime off of the dish but you know i i guess like that's that's more of what my practice is is how do i make these everyday things a way for me to connect deeper to my own heart and deeper to the collective heart, whatever you want to call that. I don't, I don't know if that really answers what you're asking, but. Well, you know, we've been talking a lot in our context about making space, uh, you know, yeah. several, you know, every, every week we, you know, give a sermon of some kind and our theme for the past almost month, I think has been this sort of gradual process of making space and and paying attention to mm -hmm. you know your thoughts and what's going on in your brain and kind of starting to test and to, to question some of your assumptions like that's that's sort of been the arc of our conversation over here for the past couple of weeks and you know part of it has been driving at that notion of presence of being here of you know really taking a moment to check in and to connect and in so doing, to separate from some of those influences that um, might be sort of masking our sense of God, uh, which is, it sounds a little bit like that's that's what you're doing. I like your word about the practicing the ease of it all. 
Yeah. And, and I really, I really think that that's, that's the key to the doorway, right? Is just the ease of it. It's almost like you're giving yourself permission, right? It's just like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, like you're allowing yourself to experience that. And it takes a little bit of like compassion and empathy towards yourself to be able to do that. But I, I, I love that. I love that that's the, the conversation that you guys have kind of been exploring and in, in that thread that you guys have been going. Yeah, we tend to be, or I tend to be perpetually on a lark about different topics. You can get me to talk about one thing in great detail and then I'm on to the next thing in great detail and I'll forget <laughs> everything about the last thing I talked about. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Matt, if I recall correctly, you used to be really into permaculture and like connecting to the earth. And I was wondering yeah. if that's still, I mean, obviously you bought a farm, so it's probably still part of your life. But if you could talk about that a little bit, I would really like to hear about it. Yeah. So, so I've started a small farm and it's, it's permaculturally based. So if you don't know, know what permaculture is, it's basically a, a systems mentality where basically you're recognizing everything is a system and is within a system. Um, both on like the macro and the micro. And and all you're trying to do is create as many relationships between different aspects of the system, right? So if I'm looking at like an agricultural system, I would think about guilds, right? Or some people call it like companion planning. You know, there's a whole book like what carrots love tomatoes or, or something like that, you know, but but yeah, it's kind of like that thing of like, how do how do I draw on the connections, you know, if you're looking at it from like a biological standpoint, right? We always, not always, I don't wanna, I don't, I, I really don't like using the word always, but we look at things as like um, in, in a biodiversity standpoint, right? Diversity breeds stability. How, how do I create more connections? And so that's, that's basically what we're trying to do. You know, we're looking at a lot of natives and trying to look at the niches that we're producing with natives, you know, been experimenting with like acorn flowers and I think the guys that I work with think I'm probably absolutely nuts but you know um making teas and all from from around here and then also to kind of mimicking that from different plants from around the world you know and and trying to build that and draw in and make connections be a little bit regenerative I guess to the to the system around us what is an acorn flower um so it's flour made from acorns right so we'll actually like come in and harvest the acorn this year we've got um a pretty good drop from like our white oak trees and we'll actually like leach out the tannins you know because that's the thing that makes your gut not feel too great if you've <laughs> ever eaten an acorn but or tried to tan leather or anything right so like the tannins but so yeah so we'll we'll leach those out over probably about 48 hours to a week depending on like what characteristics we want from the acorns and then we dry it out grind it up make some nice bread so gluten-free if you're into that thing (laughs) do i f-l-o-u-r i was picturing f-l-o-w-e-r and i was like isn't it (laughs) just an oak tree (laughs) yeah it's it's the biggest flower you've ever seen That was part of my confusion, but I was also genuinely very excited to have learned about something new. Yeah, that's way cooler. (laughs) Yeah, I remember, um, you know, when we were working together, you uh, working on sort of a lens-shaped, how do I describe this, a a sort of lens-shaped planter area, and so you were talking to me about how your plan was to um, shape the landscape in such a way that the water sort of would 
naturally gather in some areas and would be shallower in other areas so you could plant plants that needed more water sort of down within this lens-shaped space and then plant other plants that needed a little less water up top but you know kind of work it so that they all work together within this you know environment that you've produced just sort of that's the memory that comes to mind when i think about your your early permaculture experience yeah yeah it was a that was a, a mandala garden right it was in, actually in the shape of like a, a buddhist mandala right so yeah it's kind of cool they're kind of it was, it was fun to play with right you get different different requirements for different plants you know the, the way the sun moves through the sky you know you can have shade loving plants on the north side and sun loving plants on the south side and kind of doing doing the thing it's just it's getting to play right it's getting to create like a little bit of awareness i love that uh interconnection with connecting back to the land and and food um so for me i and in my house we're all about trying to figure out restorative practices of of the land my wife she studies um uh, environmentalism and phenomenology and feminism and how all of that is connected with one another. And so conversations about restoring that relationship we have with our, with the land and the food is always a topic of conversation between us. And the thing that we've been, uh, that I've been reading and watching things are the microbiome that is dirt essentially and how important yeah. that is. And like the evolution of the living organism of dirt. And like when I first discovered that, it kind of like blew my mind. So do you have like a, an experience like maybe early on where like that sort of like your first blow your mind moment and then sort of like kicked you off into that or? To be honest, I actually, I got into it because they were, this is when I was like first getting into the ashram and they were holding this like permaculture design course on there. And I was kind of just being a spiritual junkie and this permaculture design course was like two weeks and so I was like oh my god I get to like spend two weeks on my guru's ashram if I do this thing so then I like signed up to do it and then started doing it I was like holy cow this is amazing you know so I mean it was, it was kind of just an excuse to go go be um yeah just like a little bit of a spiritual junkie and then it just turned into like a whole thing but I think I think the whole um, mindset of, of permaculture kind of blew my mind when I started looking at things from like a systems mentality of like, oh my God, everything is a system, you know, and is within a system. And, you know, all of a sudden I could feel my mind breaking because it was like zooming in and out of like every single thing, you know, looking at things on the micro and the macro. I, I feel you about dirt, you know, I've been talking to like some of my friends over here at UGA, like study fungi, and we've been talking about like mycelial cultures and like soils and everything and like plants communicating through like fungi and the soil like kind of blew my mind a little bit the other day but yeah like there's um the natural world man it's something else yeah it's really exciting you know, there's yeah. a there's a farm connected with laurel's family and or multiple farms that they do they grow apples a lot so yeah we're always talking about things like that so uh, I think it's awesome that that you've started a farm, and I'm kind of interested to like cook with now acorn flour. So <laughs> we'll have to uh, uh, get connected. <laughs> so I can yeah, what do you make cool. with acorn flour? Have you been um nothing successfully yet? I'm not okay. gonna lie to you. It's <laughs> nothing has actually been great so far. So <laughs> I'm still working on it. Early, early, uh, 
early trials. It's kind of like the frustrations of like the first time you start cooking with like gluten-free flours or like almond flours and like rice flours or whatever. And then it's not quite what you expected it to be. Just an excuse to play. So just out of curiosity, because I, I grew up at my grandparents' house and they had a huge backyard with a huge garden in it. So I'm just curious, what are your favorite things to grow? Right now, my favorite things to grow are things that people have been telling me that I can't. And that's kind of like, I guess, like that hard-headed, I know, I wonder thing that we were talking about, right? People are just like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, all right, screw you. I'm going to be doing it anyway. So right now I've been trying to do a lot of like tropical plants here in the Piedmont. So I've been doing like lots of bananas, trying to grow things like guanabana and, uh, oh man, the Never mind, scratch all that. My favorite thing that I'm growing right now, it's this ginger and it's called pine cone ginger. But I have, I built this little outdoor shower so I could do a green water system. I mean, a gray water system. So I'm not wasting any of my wastewater. But so basically, all of my showers um, water these plants. But I have this one ginger and the flower comes up. It's in the shape of like this red pine cone. But when you squeeze it, um, this very like, viscous soapy sap comes out of it and you can use it as shampoo and it's it's incredible it's, it blew my mind like i had a friend from like one of my permaculture friends in florida showed it to me and the fact that i could be sitting there washing my hair with this ginger one moment and then cooking a curry at night the next kind of blew my mind but um i kind of felt like a, a whole foods version of willy wonka yeah so. all right we're gonna put that on a shirt so along with uh, <laughs> the mustache thing and a variety of other quotes. <laughs> That's awesome. Speaking yeah, uh, of the mustache thing, let's talk about these glorious mustaches that we have on the episode today. Well, I just have to say mine pales in comparison. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yours is really coming in. It's like that, uh, that Movember kind of shtick. It's, it's starting to really, really fill out. The sad part is I probably haven't shaved in November yet. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> That's commitment, man. Seriously, though, do you have like a care routine for that thing? I feel like that would be a lot of extra hours in the morning to like really get that perfectly on point. I really, I really just let it grow until when I take a sip of coffee, coffee, there's more coffee in my mustache than the mug of coffee. Um, then I usually trim it back. But yeah, I think that's kind of like the one fun thing about like the station that I work at. About half the guys there have pretty magnificent mustaches. So it's kind of cool. Everybody has like their their little handlebar or like 1860s, like little wax twist on the on the tips, you know, but kind of fun. It definitely feels like a very Athens fire station. You know, my only facial hair success has been my glorious sideburns that I can grow pretty much at will. So I'm very jealous of both you and Brian's, you know, mustache. I'm going to put that glorious in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Just so it's clear, since we're all audio, Baruti's mustache is real. <laughs> <laughs> but mine's going to be on a t-shirt, so. All right. So, you know, what is real, John? What is? Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know if we have time in th for that medical. <laughs> right, right. So uh, that's a wrong episode. We'll have to bring another philosopher on. So, sorry. I think we're still trying to answer the first question, right? Like, who are you? Like, who are you? If you have time to read up, there's a, a yogi named Ramana Maharishi. That was his whole, that was literally all he taught was... Uh, who am I? Like people would travel from all over India just to come study with him. 
And then they ask for a teaching and be like, well, who are you? And they just walk around for like decades. Just who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Until it's like, boom, Thunderbolt hits you in the head. Oh, wow. I, I don't know who I am. I guess I'm still answering that first question. So, <laughs> No, you're good. I've been sitting on a... Uh, a <laughs> I've got a koan, a Zen koan collection sitting beside my bedside table, and I've been stuck on the um, story about the monks who were talking, and one said to the other, uh, essentially something like, who is the you before the you was conceived in your mother's womb, or something like that, and I don't know what to do with that. I've been sitting with it for, like, weeks, weeks and possibly months now, like, just stuck on the notion of all the ways your imagination could stream out from that. So I could definitely see walking around India really at any time going, who am I? Almost like Zoolander, right? When he stares into the puddle. Who am I? Who am I? Zoolander reference on the podcast. I think that's a fantastic thing that just happened. Uh, that thanks. is perfect. I'm pretty sure Sarah has used the are these for ants reference at least once. Okay, yeah, second Zoolander reference. <laughs> Is this a table for ants? Anyway. <laughs> can we do a whole Zoolander episode? Yes, yes, we can. It, it turns out Zoolander is remarkably deep and spiritual. Mm, mm, yes. Given the number of references we've made to it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the only logical conclusion we can draw. From yeah, yeah you, you find some really, like, interesting sounding, like, deep sounding like nonsensical terms in media all the time so i don't know i just got blitzed with like 10 that i want to share but i don't think anyone has watched any of those shows so i just sound like an idiot so i'm gonna keep those and dispense them later <laughs> well maruti thank you so much for joining us today it's been a really fun and stimulating conversation we ask one final question uh and that Every week, we try to kind of end on the note of what is bringing you joy right now? What is bringing you life right now? So you want to start us off with that? Yeah, my, my chickens right now, they're chasing each other in the yard, and it's kind of cracking me up. So, but yeah, that's, that's bringing me joy today. That is awesome. That's really fun. We've been kind of cooped up in the house doing home office work a lot of uh, the past few months. And so in a sort of similar vein, my dog is bringing me joy. She um, demands attention at the most inconvenient times. Often I think it's because she wants the food that I'm holding when she demands the attention. But uh, it is just such a, a joy to have her like jump up on the couch and you know just fall into your lap even though she's a 110 pound dog and then just crush you with cuddly love i don't know we saw a couple of like really tiny kittens in our yard a couple days ago like six week old kittens and we tried to befriend them but they were not interested <laughs> but just thinking about them with their little bouncy there were two yeah i hope we see them again <laughs> that's my joy uh for me uh the weather uh here in virginia beach in norfolk has been fantastic i mean I love it when it's like 70 degrees outside in the middle of November. Uh, that's not how it was when I grew up here, but uh, it's been oh so pleasant to wear shorts in November. It is hot and muggy here. It's the yeah. joys of climate change, y'all. 
Well, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> well, it's all good. Uh, I think for me, uh, it's also dog related. Um, we got a new, not, we rescued a nine month old puppy. Um, and so our uh, five year old or four year old border collie mix has been acclimating to, to Fox. Um, but they just discovered uh, that they could play tug together and they've been doing that like nonstop all the time. So um, it's just so funny to see them like whatever the size toy and they do this with like the smallest toys and like they're just tugging all around and sort of like this little tornado of dog tails and snorting. It's, it's hilarious. Well, very cool. Well, again, Maruti, thank you so much for joining us. Is there like a website or a Twitter handle or something that you'd like to share with the nether sphere of people who listen to this podcast so that they can find your farm and your acorn flower? I guess like the, I'm, I'm not really, sorry, I'm not like a huge social media guy, but um, I'm on Instagram, I guess. Uh, Maruti Jaya. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway to a Luddite, so... Well, that's perfectly fine. Well, if people start hunting you down for acorn flower on Instagram, you know where they found you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you guys having me. Hey, guys, this is John. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Logosish. This week's music was by audionautics.com. If you have any questions or thoughts, or if you'd like to have your music featured on this podcast, be a guest on the podcast, or suggest a topic for us to cover, send us an email to logosishpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at logosishpod. Please like, subscribe, and review wherever you download this podcast. That helps us get the word out about all the cool stuff that we're working on, and we'd love to hear your feedback as well. Have a great week.